You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Monster House presents... Monster Talk's a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Home of such shows as... Kick-Ass News, Movie Therapy, and Therapist Uncensored. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. An Air Force veteran and former intelligence official is going public about a secret government UFO recovery program he says has been collecting alien spacecraft for... The bombshell claim about UFOs. A former U.S. intelligence official and Air Force veteran claims a top-secret program is withholding evidence of alien spacecraft. Certainly interesting. The military was... It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. It was funny timing with this Mick West interview. Ever since the 2017 New York Times piece on UAPs, a piece which I still believe only saw publication due to a massive deterioration in the editorial integrity of that newspaper, there's been a continuing campaign to change the narrative around UFOs. Only it's such a ruse. These press releases masquerading as journalism are all rooted in the same cluster of enthusiastic believers who are being very, very deceptive in their approach, trying to appear respectable through what I can only describe as credibility bootstrapping. They've used money and influence to get their narrative into both U.S. federal government and major news outlets. These stories contain narratives that the witnesses and cited experts probably believe, but it's all cleverly crafted to seem more plausible, more widely believed, more respectable. Yet it's the same old nonsense with a new paint job. You can't go paint a rusty Yugo and put a three-pointed star on the hood and call it a Mercedes. Well, I mean, you can call it a Mercedes, but it will not be one. This latest news story, I'll link to it in the show notes, didn't tell me anything new or startling. But then again, I realized I probably read these things with a lot more critical analysis than the target audience. Now, that's not a brag. Building your critical analysis skills is increasingly the very minimum that you need to get by in a world that's developed frictionless funnels to supply us with a constant stream of shiny, interesting, but ultimately vapid content. Take this latest story. Once again, it's written by Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal. They're the dynamic duo of turd polishing, weaving hearsay, rumor, and anecdote into a simulacra of hard-breaking news. The story headline is... Intelligence officials say U.S. has retrieved craft of non-human origin. Now, normally I'd say start there with the unpacking, but we should probably step back one more remove and see where this thing's first being published. It's on The Debrief, an internet news outlet or fancy blog built by Micah Hanks and some other paranormal researchers. The Debrief looks like a quasi-political blog site. It's a very nice layout, but if you don't know who the people are behind it, you might mistake it for a more professional mainstream news outlet. 
The content of the article itself is full of, this guy works for the government and this person was in the military, constantly pointing at credentials and experience and job titles, all of which would be unnecessary if there was any actual hard proof that the statements in the story were really true. Leslie Keene was the last paramour of the abduction researcher Bud Hopkins, and Blumenthal is the biographer of John Mack. These are UFO people, and they should have about the same credibility as Linda Moulton Howe and her Conspiracy of Cattle Mutilations coverage. Which is to say, all of this story is hearsay and anecdotes prettied up and put in a fancy, respectable suit. But a fancy suit will not stop bullshit from stinking. So, we'll be continuing our conversation with Mick West who you may recall from part one is a retired video game developer who spent many years becoming skilled at figuring out what's really going on in UFO videos, photos, and narratives. But Mick can't do this all by himself. We all have to learn the skills of deeper reading and critical analysis to figure out when we're being tricked. But still, I appreciate that investigators like Mick are willing to crawl over that embankment and charge out across the wasteland against the ceaseless waves of nonsense which humans are wont to create. If you can't be a warrior for truth, you need to at least learn to defend the last battlefield, your own mind. Monster Dog. So, Mick, you're talking about personal experiences, and so I want to get personal with you for a second, and I don't know if this is real because I found it on Wikipedia, but uh, Wikipedia says that when you were a child, you believed you had psychic abilities. And I'm wondering if that was true and what experiences or beliefs you had at the time. Well, I think uh, pretty much everybody has tried to use the force at some point. Anybody who's watched Star Wars, especially as a young young person. Young Padawan, I believe, is the... You think that wouldn't it be great if I could move things with the power of my mind. So this is is a, a perfectly ordinary thing for people to try especially young people (laughs) thing is like if you try something and it works then you're going to be convinced that you actually have psychic power so if perhaps you i don't know like you're holding a piece of paper in your hand and you 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 think move and it actually moves because the wind is moving it does something like that you could be convinced fairly easily especially as a young person that you have psychic powers uh and and for me uh i had this kind of like I guess like an origin story where it was very simple. It was just, there was a, a raffle at school where you get got tickets and I stole some of my lunch money uh, and bought a couple of tickets. And I remember like willing the first one to, to be drawn and it was drawn. And I willed the second one to be drawn and it was drawn immediately after that. And to me, this just seemed miraculous. You know, I mean, there probably was only like a hundred tickets or something in there, so it wasn't that that amazing. But you know, since I thought that I actually did it myself, I became convinced that uh, you know I had psychic powers. I think I was probably like like seven or eight or something at the time. <laughs> so, you could be you know, forgiven, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, at the time, you I believed all kinds of strange things. Like uh, I can't remember if I still believed in the tooth fairy at that time, but and it wouldn't be that long since I believed Santa was bringing me presents. But you know, I was religious at the time. I was a raised Catholic, so I believed you know a variety of essentially supernatural things that if you pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, God will give you things. Uh, God will help you. If you pray and someone will get well. So, you know, essentially there was this kind of mainstream psychic power of prayer 
which mm -hmm. was acceptable to believe in. And then there's this slightly less acceptable uh, thing to believe in, which is is this this more supernatural magic uh, type of psychic power. And uh, I I stopped believing after a while because it <laughs> it didn't actually work. So mm -hmm. whenever I I tried to do things like read people's minds and guess what cards they had, you know, I didn't have any success. And you know, eventually I realized that that was nonsense, and I, I eventually realized that the you know, the religion really wasn't I didn't have very much to back it up either. And I kind of stopped believing in that, and I guess that kind of led me into the the skepticism because I right. <laughs> I once believed, and then I realized it wasn't true, and moved to the other side. <laughs> and we have seen that a lot with with skeptics, where they've had some kind of experience and or believe that they've had an ability and. Uh, and then that's been falsified, and so they've come to the side of scepticism. But uh, I just wanted to mention too that we just did an episode. Uh, speaking of Catholicism, we just did an episode on incorruptible corpses. Mm. That was a interesting topic. Yeah, that that's the type of thing that would have interested me as as a young man. Uh, I I used to read Unexplained magazine, uh, which is a, a semi periodical type thing. Uh, mm -hmm. It was like a collect all the issues type type thing. So they, were, they got a new one every month for for like two years or something. But uh, yeah, they they talked about things like that, incorruptible corpse, corpses, or things like spontaneous human combustion. They just seem uh, so fascinating. Yeah, just yeah. The idea that like you know some corpses wouldn't you know well, that was you know, that's something in this in the Catholic Church okay. obviously that yeah some of the mm -hmm. saints uh, their bodies didn't decay. But like spontaneous human combustion was was just fascinating too because it just seems so weird and out of the realm of you know even my my Catholic beliefs you know mm. what could it what possibly be going on there it was it was like a, a whole different world if 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 uh, if spontaneous human combustion was actually real right. it's, yeah. it's, it's wicked cool what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I see what you did there. See, see. <laughs> Speaking of uh, tenured professors getting into some stuff, uh, have you got any thoughts about Avi Loeb and Amuamua? Mm, I do. I do. Uh, Avi Loeb stands alone in his uh, belief that Amuamua is a uh, interstellar spaceship remnant. Uh, most astrophysicists, I don't think that. They think that it's some kind of asteroid, and they think that the slight changes in acceleration as it passes through our solar system are, are just some some quirk of its shape and the the way it's venting hydrogen or something like that. But he's become convinced, I think, and I think he he's kind of got in with the UFO crowd, and I think a lot of the people. Mm -hmm who haven't had some kind of personal experience, uh, the reason that they get into UFOs is is basically the same reason Harry Reid got into UFOs. They listen to people who are very good talkers, people who spin a very good story, tell a very good tale. Not, people are not necessarily like lying or anything like that, but people who who believe that UFOs are, are aliens or something really strange. And they're very knowledgeable about the subject and they can speak very well about the subject and their goal their personal goal is to convince you that ufos are something that's you know amazing and worth investigating 
So I think, you know, Harry Reid back in the day, he, he got introduced to a group of people and he got convinced. And so he got into Robert Bigelow's circle. And I think Avi Loeb, even though, you know, he's a genius uh, professor, PhD, he's learned lots of accolades. Um, I think, you know, he's just become convinced, you know, partly because he did his own work on Oumuamua and, you know, he wants to, he wants that to be correct. Uh, but also because he's 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 talked to the, uh, the the crowd of people who are interested in uh, in UFOs, and they've they've convinced him that there's something to it. And there's, there's there's it's not that hard to convince people if you are a strong believer in eyewitness accounts. There's some very compelling eyewitness accounts, but uh, there isn't very good physical evidence. So I think he's a professor. He kind of believes in science, and he he recognizes that eyewitness accounts aren't going to convince people. So now he's he's personally being convinced, but he needs the evidence to convince other people. He needs the scientific evidence, and so he's basically set up this uh, Galileo project to to try to find this evidence. And the Galileo project has a few different. Uh, things, one of which is looking for new Oumuamua's, another one is uh, looking for near-Earth objects, uh, near-Earth orbit objects that might be aliens. And the other one is is basically positioning giant telescopes in strategic locations and trying to take photos of UFOs. And he's got these these stations that they've, they've developed where they've got like cameras that scan the sky and when they detect uh, something that's a bit UFO-ish, they focus the big telescope on it and take photos of it. And the idea there is that they, you know, if you can get a close-up photograph of a UFO, then that proves that UFOs are really something. Of course, what's going to happen is just they'll get some close-up photos of faraway objects like birds and planes and balloons. It would be great if they get close-up photos of an alien spaceship, but history has, has taught us that uh, when things are far away and mysterious and you get closer to them or you get bigger binoculars they become visible and not so mysterious and i fully expect that's all that's going to happen yeah i i as someone who's <laughs> had a lifelong interest in cryptids but uh has been super skeptical for decades i still applaud people who can manage to put together networks for looking at stuff and i i i'm always of the mind that if you want to go look for bigfoot do that if you want to spend yeah. money and put a network of cameras up to look for bigfoot do that that's great and same thing for ufos all this i, I i'm all for looking but like you i think he's been persuaded his beliefs uh are maybe his belief in the truth of the hypothesis may be a lot larger than the likelihood the evidence would suggest, you know, and, yeah. and, and I think this is really important. One astronomical event should not get you to join up with the UAP UFO people, because those are really radically different. Seeing a body way out at the end of the solar system is, is not, the same it's not the same thing as you know all the lights over denver or whatever you know it's just mm -hmm. yeah, so i don't know why it's at yeah. denver instead of phoenix but whatever uh, i know why it's at denver <laughs> karen this is your fault but <laughs> yeah right. yeah i think he's kind he of uh, 
he's kind of extrapolating things a bit much there. He's he's kind of like thinking, well, if a mua mua, uh, according to my theory, is an interstellar um, spaceship, like a, a sail from an interstellar spaceship, then he did some back of the envelope math and said, like, oh, there's so many stars, there's so many directions that the probes could go from stars. What are the odds that one would hit our solar system? It's very low unless there are lots and lots of them. So he, he basically did some simple math that says that the universe is teeming with probes. And so you can just extrapolate mm. from that. Well, if it's teeming with probes, then it's quite likely that some of them have already arrived here and they've set up shop and they have an undersea base and they're sending out little uh, UFOs to, to spy on us. It's, it's a short step uh, in the uh, the logic of ufology mm -hmm. from uh, Oumuamua to a centuries-old undersea base making UFOs. There is so much in our universe that remains hidden. Until now. My name is Kristen Seavey, and I have some stories that you might want to hear on the podcast The Hidden Staircase. Whether it's true crime, paranormal occurrences, or perhaps something beyond the stars, I keep all their stories safe in my library. So come with me down the staircase, pull up a chair, and let's discover the enigmas that remain hidden from us all. Listen to The Hidden Staircase now wherever you get podcasts. Hey there, Monster Talkers. We'd like to introduce you to a new podcast you're going to love. Do you like to travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband, and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorn, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff. To Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking... Was it an accident? Or was it murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So... Mick, if we could talk about your book for a little while. Sure. Yeah, you, you've written a book and it's done very well, Escaping the Rabbit Hole. And uh, it, the book's about helping people out of their irrational conspiracies. Can you tell us a little bit about the feedback you've had, and I guess from both sides, from believers and skeptics? Yeah, I haven't had that much feedback from believers because they tend not to read the book. 
it's yeah, sure. it, it's it's difficult to get someone to to read something like that because they they believe that it's just basically part of some government cover up or it's just going to make fun of them or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, you know, I very much try not to make fun of people, and the government isn't paying me anything. Um, but the feedback from 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 readers and the more general readers has been pretty good. It's they it it's really about helping people to understand the mindset of a conspiracy theorist so you can actually talk to them and some basically simple tips for how you can talk to them i go into a lot of detail on the individual conspiracies like uh, chemtrails and 9-11 and even flat earth but the the core of the book is is um, just a, a series of simple advice steps which i I break down into the very, very simple three-step process. If you want to help someone, a friend of yours who believes in conspiracy theories, uh, the first step is uh, establishing effective communication, which just means getting past the kind of shouty phase of the discussion, getting past the frustration of uh, this person being a different person to who you thought and, and getting them past the idea that you are mocking them or you're laughing at them or you think that they're crazy. Uh, you've really got to find a way to be able to talk to someone before you can start, say, you know, for want of a better word, debunking their conspiracy mm-hmm. theories. And a big mistake a lot of people make is they just start wading in and start trying to fact check everything that the person says. And that doesn't work if you haven't already established effective communication by kind of getting to know them, establishing common ground and letting them know what you think and asking them what they think and then just just having a good conversation. So there's this three-step process, you know, establish effective communication and then supplying useful information is the next thing. It isn't necessarily debunking things. It could just be stuff that's additional context that they might be missing. Like a lot of people have what we call a, a crippled epistemology. And epistemology is kind of how people know things, their knowledge system. And when you have a crippled epistemology, it means that you're getting all of your information, your your knowledge, things you think you know to be true, from a limited number of information sources. Like you know, the, the simplest example is someone who only watches Fox News. They're going to get a very skewed view of of the news. And perhaps you know someone who only watches CNN would get a, a mm-hmm. skewed view as well, but perhaps not quite so skewed. But you know, if you only have one information source, you're not getting a good understanding of the world and how the world works. So supplying you useful information can be just helping them understand how the world works. But then you can also, on top of that, give them information that disproves some of their, their particular beliefs, their particular strange conspiracies or whatever. And then the third step, which is very short, is just giving it time. Because uh, people often expect that if you explain what's wrong with a conspiracy theory to someone and show them what's wrong, then that's all they need. But it doesn't work like that. It takes a lot of time for things to sink in and for you to establish what actually needs to to be uh, discussed and for them to accept it. It can take sometimes months, sometimes years. Yeah, or or never. Well, or never. But you don't you don't get a new belief instantly. And getting rid of an old belief is never going to be. It's, it's got to be a, 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 a. It takes time. It takes time for sure. Sure. But you, yeah, you, it does. You reminded me though uh, the epistemology. I know. I know a lot of people recently seem to be using this concept that if 
if it makes them angry, it's probably true. And I call that epistemology, which I think <laughs> <laughs> seems to account for a lot of what's going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you got that, that kind of knee-jerk reaction in, in various ways as well. You know, it's um, if somebody says something, it must be true. Like if you think a particular person is, is very uh, believable, so you believe everything that Tucker Carlson says – uh, then if he tells you something, you're, you're likely to think it is true. And if someone says that Tucker Carlson is wrong, then you're, you're going to think that they're, they're making things up. So people aren't, yeah, this is, this is new. Uh, people have not been using critical thinking since the dawn of time, mm. but people aren't really considering the facts and they aren't thinking about it. They're just, they're choosing a side essentially or choosing a person or choosing a certain narrative and then they're going with what fits within that so yeah if something contradicts their narrative they're going to get angry and that anger will mean that you know that they they are right and you are wrong as i often say gullibility was developed in 1923 <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up so so <laughs> Mick, I, in all honesty, I want to know, this is maybe more to help myself than the audience, but maybe it'll help the audience too. How do you keep yourself going? Because mm. you, you not only are you relentless, and, and, I, and believe me, I understand the addiction of solving a mystery. It is, it is very much a thing that Karen and I can't get enough of. But, but even so, people get burned out. But you, and you are not just facing mm. mysteries. You're also facing angry people who don't want you to say that their ideas are wrong. So how do you keep yourself going? going well yeah it's a variety of things i mean it's, there's always something new with ufos there's always new ufo cases coming out and sometimes they're the big cases and the high profile and it's very exciting trying to you know get uh, get a, an explanation for them as as quickly as you can and still obviously be accurate so that's that's always a, a fun aspect of it but also yeah, the people are interesting I, you know, I wrote this book on you know, how to talk to conspiracy theorists, and I'm still learning stuff all the time. There's actually a, a second edition of the book coming out, which comes out in um, in a month, in June 20th. Uh, so that's going to incorporate some of the stuff I've learned about UFOs and, and, and newer conspiracy theories like uh, QAnon and uh, anti-vaccine stuff. So it's, there's always new stuff and there's always new people and there's always new challenges. And someone, some, any new individual who comes along is going to present a unique challenge in terms of communication and establishing some kind of understanding. It's not like I'm playing games with them and I'm trying to change their minds. You know, I'm, I, I only want to help them if they believe things that are wrong. Uh, so if, if someone comes along with this, this weird, strange belief that I think is incorrect, then, yeah, I see it's something as a challenge to, to, to help them out of that belief. But with UFOs, mostly it's, it's about the fun of uh, figuring stuff out. So, you know, I'm a video game programmer. I, I use my video game programming uh, experience to code like simulations of, of these UFO videos and try to figure out the math behind them and uh, uh it's just it's a lot of fun and it exercises my brain we've seen you on tv a lot as a talking head oh that's true too <laughs> yeah. doing exactly that yeah. yeah i was just thinking though if any a video game hunting down or simulating ufos if you could figure a way to add a score well i was thinking if i was to do a, a game about ufos i would do it from the perspective of the aliens and trying to hide from the the skeptics and the investigators 
it's just simply like you know, uncovering things isn't that that interesting <laughs> but the idea of sneaking around in ufos and uh, you know abducting people and doing things like that uh is a is, is kind of an interesting thing you it can is do a lot from the That's from the alien perspective because you'd have all kinds of interesting technology it sounds like a, <laughs> since there's different breeds of aliens you could do it as a card game and have each species have its own deck and you know ability to block others or try to expose yeah. others yeah. oh there you go <laughs> but speaking of this kind of thing uh mick we've got a final question to ask you blake might have some follow-up questions too but uh we always like to ask our guests what's your favorite monster well, as a kid, my favorite monster was the Yeti. I always found that to be like really interesting, fun story type uh, thing. But I think now my favorite monster uh, would be the aliens who abduct and cut up cattle. It just oh. seems like the most <laughs> bizarre thing for an alien to be doing. Like apparently yeah, they come why? down. And sometimes they use their tractor beams to suck up cows into their spaceships. And then they cut parts off them, and then they drop them back down to earth. And that's just such a, a weird thing. As you do, so, yeah. Indeed. It's a, li- it's a little <laughs> bit like the alien in, uh, in Nope, which uh, kind of... Oh, yeah. You know, so, but they're perfectly eats, good eats cows, the and they totally wrecked them. What? Yes. Oh. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's just I, such I a... That. <laughs> it's an unknown monster as well, so that kind of yes. adds to the mystery of it. It's, it does, we don't know what it looks like. It's, it's a mysterious presence in a mysterious craft doing mysterious things to poor cows. Yeah. It's or, a really common one out yeah. here in, in Denver. Lots of claims, I guess, all the uh, kind of agriculture, rural yeah, areas well, around lots here. Lots of cows, lots of, lots of cow abductions. Yeah. Yeah, there's that Hot valley spot. near you that um, they were always talking about the abductions or the, the cattle mutilations. I, I've, yeah. I'm old and the name has escaped me, but it'll come back about 30 minutes from now. So. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Me too. <laughs> I'm thinking here of the San Luis Valley, a.k.a. the Mysterious Valley, which paranormal enthusiast Christopher Brown has written about extensively. Well, well Mick, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. This was great. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. fun. Thank you for having me. And, and and thank you for adding your calm and measured rational voice to the chatter on Twitter. I I I really appreciate that. So no, that's that's fun Someone too. Has to. yeah. <laughs> and I say, and obviously not more than just Twitter. But speaking of which, is there I, this this is the part where we would have you pimp your stuff? Is there? <laughs> we've mentioned your book. We've mentioned your websites. But is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, well, I have a YouTube channel. It's just YouTube slash Mick West. Uh, youtube.com slash mcwest and that's I have a bunch of different I guess investigation and debunking videos uh, there's a lot a lot there a lot for everybody but outstanding mostly, mostly UFOs at the moment but there's they dig down there's some old old stuff that's quite interesting cool well I will add all that to the show notes so people you can go down and click and get to those things and check out uh, Metabunk for sure and get mixed book and uh, keep watching the skies Thank you, Mick. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. You were just listening to an interview with mystery investigator Mick West. You can find Mick's work at his site, metabunk.org. And we've got a link to his book, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, in the show notes. Mick will also be one of the speakers at this year's CSICon in 2023 in October. You can find more information about that event at csiconference.org. 
Monster Talk's theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys, and somehow I never get tired of it. I hope you feel the same way. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this show during your busy week. Monster House presentation.